This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. This morning's scripture reading comes from selections from the book of Proverbs. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. One of them is a heart that devises wicked plans. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, But a wise man listens to advice. Plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, wage war. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring. This is God's word. We're in a sermon series on the book of Proverbs, which offers wisdom as the prize to its reader, to the one who reads it submissively and faithfully and obediently. And wisdom, uh, we have said over and over, is competency in regards to the realities and complexities of life. Competency in regards to the realities and complexities of life. Wisdom is knowing what to do in the majority of situations the majority of situations in our lives where the rules don't apply. If you think about it, these decisions we make in a lot of ways really um, plan and have a massive effect and determine uh, our lives and our enjoyment of them and the blessing and the abundance in them and, and, and how others are treated around us. Is this the right person to hire? Is this the right career for me? Is this the right amount of freedom to give to my child at this age? Is this the right person to confide in to help me understand the depths of my heart? Is this the right person to give this responsibility to? Was it, was it right not to marry that person? Most of the choices in front of us are moral and legal and allowable, but most are not wise. In sermon one, we said that the wise person looks at a decision in one of these realms, whether it's money or career or or family or um, um, planning, uh, looks at these situations in front of them and, and, and has multiple opportunities, multiple moral opportunities in front of them, but the wise person does four things. They see clearly. They can see reality, including themselves, very clearly, not as reality wants to present itself. Secondly, the wise person plans meticulously. This is all from chapter uh, one, verses one through six. I didn't say they plan obsessively or idolatrously or arrogantly, but I said meticulously. 
Third, the wise person leads humbly, that they're shocked that people want to follow them because they see themselves as foolish, but when they realize people are following them, they lead sacrificially and like a servant. I, I was reading, I've been reading a book recently on leadership that someone gave to me. It's written for young leaders. And one of the main uh, points that the author made is how important it is for young leaders to find coaches and really leaders in whatever realm you're in so that you can go farther, uh, faster. And listen to this paragraph on finding a good coach. Engaging a good leadership coach is difficult for two reasons. To begin with, most people won't even know what you're talking about if you ask them to serve as your leadership coach. Problem number one. Problem number two, qualified candidates will tell you that they're not qualified. So wise people see clearly, they plan meticulously, they lead humbly, and then fourth, we said they succeed biblically, remembering that Paul says in Corinthians that the wisdom of God is the foolishness of man, and the, the, the wisdom of man is the foolishness of God, so succeeds biblically. Our topic, as you might have guessed from the multitude of verses read by Noah David, is planning uh, meticulously. Here's uh, one of the big ideas for the, the day. A wise person not only lives in their life, but they also spend adequate and appropriate time working on their life. God is a God of planning, a God of meticulous and exact planning. And, and as humans, the pinnacle of creation, we were made in his image, we're in his likeness. We have the capacity to plan. We can look to the future. We can make goals and visions about what we want it to look like. And of, of course, hopefully, we're making biblical uh, goals about what we want it look like, to look like. But planning is that process of saying, how am I gonna get from here to there? We're all planners from one degree or another, regardless of where you're at on this and wh whether you think you are or not. Some of us enjoy it. Some of us obsess about it. Some of us worship it. Some of us uh, avoid it. We stink at it. We feel restricted by it. But everyone is a planner. If you set an alarm for tomorrow, you have made a plan. If you're the laziest person in the world and your stomach growls and you think, I'm hungry, when you get up, walk to the kitchen, get food, go back to the couch, pick up the remote. You have executed a plan. Next time, just put the pizza guy on speed dial, give him a key to the house, but still a plan. All of us created in God's image, we're all planners. From the book of Proverbs to Jesus's teaching, to Paul's example, to James's teaching, we're gonna see this morning that planning is biblical, it's good, it's wise. So long as we remember three things. These are the three points this morning. Planning is a call to mystery, to submissive stewardship, and to the, in quotes, plan. Planning is a call to mystery. Planning is a call to submissive stewardship. And planning is a call to the plan. All right, look at these two truths. Maybe you caught it when Noah David was reading. These two truths that seem uh, irreconcilable to the human mind. First, our plans and our executions of those plans, they have an effect on reality. Start at the top of your worship folder insert, 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only Poverty. Remember, this is not a fortune cookie. The Proverbs are not promises. They're generalizations that by and large, this is true, that if you're wise in planning and if you're a diligent worker, 
Sometimes forces outside of you will put you into poverty, whether it be nature or oppression by your parents or a culture or another culture. And also, some, some are horrible at planning. And some live incredibly lazy lives and then they hit the lotto and they land in the place of abundance for a little while. But look at this generalization. Good plans and diligence leads to abundance, flourishing, advancement. For those who think, act, are proactive and decisive, for those who are strategic instead of letting life just happen to them, their life will go better. And for those who are hasty or maybe better said impulsive, and this word has a deep in the meaning of it in the Hebrew, it means reacting to. For those who react to life, their life will not go well. They will generally head towards poverty. Here's the big idea. Most people work in their life, primarily in reaction mode. Whatever is urgent and squeaky gets their attention. Paying the bills, returning emails, answering phone calls, living in crisis mode, paying all their attention to their needs, to their home repairs, to their kids, and the list keeps growing and growing and growing. But the proverb tells us people who work on their life, doing analysis, goal setting, making a plan, they do better in general. I spent, uh, I spent uh, most of my life winging it. I spent most of my life caring most about sports and in the academic world completely and utterly winging it. And I learned this lesson, the value and the power of a plan between the fall semester and spring semester of my freshman year in college. I made a dismal 2.54. Dismal because... Um, for, for lots of reasons, but one of the main reasons that I have actually repented of in the right circles is I got it primarily by cheating. I got a 2.54, the best I could do cheating. I was playing soccer, I was on the travel team with the varsity squad, and I didn't have any idea how to do school. And so between my, my uh, fall semester and my spring semester, um, my coach called my folks and let them know how dismally I had done and only I knew how deceptively I had done it. And I was assigned an, an upperclassman on the soccer team to be my mentor in academics for at least 12 months. We met early in January on the campus before the other students got there. My second semester forward, my friends like to make fun of me in seminary because I was upset I made one A minus. One. Same IQ. Honestly, to be totally true, same friends, same context, same amount of time studying. I was in the library all the time with a 2.54. The only difference was a plan. We gathered all of my syllabi, those documents, you know, they give you at the beginning of a class that tell you what their expectations are of you for the next four months. We gathered all of them. He bought me a planner. He got out five, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper and put them landscape style. And we mapped out every assignment for four months from the small reading of eight pages to the writing of the term paper that was 100% of my grade. We mapped every last bit of it out. He wouldn't let me sign up for five o'clock classes anymore if there was an eight o'clock option. He made me eat breakfast every morning. He made me concentrate on not that suggested reading that was interesting to me, but that paper that was worth the majority of my grade. Same IQ, same friends, same amount of time in the library. Only difference, a plan. This is what 
the Proverbs says first. Make a plan, execute the plan. Generally, it leads towards abundance and away from poverty. Think about the differences in my life if I don't make it that second semester. I lose my scholarship, go to another school, if at all. I don't meet and fall, well, I've met her, I've fallen in love with her. She doesn't fall in love with me our junior year. It took me that long for Trisha to be convinced that I would be a good option to date. Just think about the differences in my life and the power of a plan. But secondly, consider these verses that speak to the reality that God's purposes or plan are ultimate and sovereign. Listen, our plans and actions have an effect, but God has had a detailed plan or a will or a purpose from all eternity. 1921, many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Chapter 16, verse one, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. They're our plans, you see that? The plan of the heart belongs to a man, they belong to us, we own them, we're responsible for them. And yet the result of what is said is from the Lord. Chapter 16, verse nine, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So not only words, but deeds are established by God as well. And listen, even the most minute detail, like a coin toss, is according to God's plan. Chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even the coin toss of the Super Bowl comes down exactly how God planned it. Chapter 16, verse four, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. We have an effect, we're responsible for our lives, but the way the NIV says this is God works out everything for his ends, even the wicked for the day of disaster. So not only the little things, but the bad things are a part of God's plan too. Romans 8, 28 puts it this way. We know that God works in all things for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. As human beings, we cannot get these two truths and reconcile them in our brains intellectually. Our human categories cannot hold these two realities together. It is a complete and absolute mystery to us, but it is not a mystery to God. He completely, brilliantly, and utterly understands how these two work together. It's a great temptation for you and me, me particularly because of my control issues and where I stand this morning. It's a temptation to demand that God explain this to us in our vocabulary, in our concepts, in our constructs, in our boxes. This is a temptation to sin. We are not God, he is Listen to what Proverbs 3, 5 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. It's been said multiple times by multiple people in multiple venues, this this quote, God created man in his own image and man has been returning the favor ever since. God created man in his own image and man has been returning the favor ever since, demanding that God explain every mystery to us so that we will believe and obey. And he says, I understand, you don't need to do what I said. 
Romans 9, 20. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? What, well, what is molded? Question, it's molder. Why have you created it like this? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. The first call on the call to planning, we're about to get supremely practical here in a second. The first call is the call to mystery. At the same time, 100%, 100%, we are responsible and God is sovereign. That's what his Bible says. That's what we're gonna roll with. So if planning is first a call to mystery, planning is secondly a call to submissive stewardship. I'm gonna outline what I I see as the five steps of wise biblical planning as the Proverbs uh, move forward from chapter one to the end through chapter 31. And I hope you'll see in this that um, I'm trying to give a faithful um, uh, presentation of what planning looks like for us considering both realities of what the Bible teaches and not contradicting them or contrasting them or putting them at odds, but living in the reality that both of them are true, okay? Five steps of wise biblical planning, the call to submissive stewardship. We're gonna change gears. If you're philosophical, you're about to be frustrated. If you're practical, you're gonna like this. Step zero, step zero, do not plan evil. It's ground zero. There's actually six steps. There's five steps and there's one non-step. Chapter three, verse 29, do not plan or devise evil, harm, misery, distress against your neighbor, which can be translated friend, companion, lover, who dwells trustingly beside you. I'm back in the worship folder now. Chapter six, verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven, they're an abomination to him. One of them is this, a heart that devises wicked plans. Chapter 12, verse 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have Joy. I saw these passages. I, I print out every uh, verse I can find in the book of Proverbs, like plan, plans, guidance, um, devise, devising. I look for every verse I possibly can, and I almost skipped this part about planning evil because my mind went to Cameron Cage, the 16-year-old in Sharps, Florida, who was caught this week with the bomb material and the plan to blow up his school. My mind went to the network of terrorists who recently tried to, to wreak havoc on Times Square. My mind went to the multiple websites making public news these days, websites that help folks accomplish their plans who are trying to carefully cheat on their spouse. So my mind went to all these places instead of to me. And I thought, we'll just skip over step zero. Do not plan evil. But the book of Proverbs would not let me do it so easily. 10 to two, 10 times Verses like the three I just read, where planning has an object after it. It's planning evil, wickedness, trouble. You know how many times it says to plan good or the planning of good? Two. So while my mind went to, I'll just talk about planning good, the book of Proverbs forced me to go back to a place that says my heart plans more evil than I probably know. We should probably stop and think about this for a while. 10 to two. So I began to reflect on my life 
And I began to ask the question, where do I plan evil? Where do I plan the opposite of shalom, community peace? Where do I plan the opposite of doing good for others? Chapter 14, verse 22, where am I going opposed to the welfare of the community? And I began to just reflect and journal and I was shocked when I began to look at my life this week at how often I was planning evil. I had a dozen or so friends consider the same question. A dozen or so, and I said, if you're confused, use chapter 12, verse 20 as an aid. Where do you see deception in your life as you look to the future? A humorous one for me to start. When I'm on a diet and I need to sneak some chocolate, as soon as Trisha says the words, I'm going to Publix, my mind just slides right to chocolate. The kids have chocolate. She'll never know. See you, honey, I love you. I'm gonna miss you. Bye-bye. Trisha gave me a humorous one as well, that when she checks out of Publix or Target, and we laughed about these the other night in the bed. As uh, she checks out of Publix and Target, she, she'll get $10 extra. At the end, it says, you want some cash back? I want $10. Because in the budget, the guy who watches Bank of America online will never know where that $10 went. Not that I've ever said to her, you can't go to Starbucks or you can't have that or buy that for the kids. She just said there's something inside of her that likes the idea of keeping me in the dark when it comes to that $10. That's the planning of evil. One one friend said, I plan to avoid people. I I try to avoid my annoying neighbors who need a friend, who need community. I avoid certain phone calls. I plan excuses for avoiding these people. One friend acknowledged that they made a plan. They made out location, drivers, and participants so they could drink to excess on a regular basis. Men, we, we situate ourselves so that people can't see our eyes and where we're looking. That's a plan for evil. Men, we, we look at things on the computer, not when the kids are up around seeing what we're doing, but when everyone else is in bed, we wait. That's a plan for evil. Listen, women, when you start executing your plan around February for what your body will look like at the beach in June, not to be a good steward of the body God's given you, but to catch the eyes of a man and to be better than the woman next to you, and to find your identity and your shape instead of the gospel. That's a four-month plan of evil. The most frequent example of planning for evil in my life is this. I have been really hurt and victimized and betrayed by two people in my past. I was in weak positions to them, I would spend a lot of time with them and they took significant advantage of me. I spend a lot of time daydreaming about them being in need and me being in the position of power and them coming to me and asking for help. And I spend a lot of time daydreaming, not saying no, but hell no. That's a plan for evil. What do we do? What do we do? Let's say we're stuck right here. Before we do step one of a proactive plan for good, what do we do? Do we say to ourselves, don't do it. You now know what you're thinking about doing. Don't do it. Do we scold ourselves and say, how dare you plan that? It's just pure evil. Or do we repent? 
Do we confess that our hearts are so wicked at times that we have the capacity for this kind of evil in us? And if circumstances were right so that we could do it, we would. And so right now we can go ahead and confess, I'm already guilty of this sin. We can ask Jesus to forgive us and then ask Jesus to empower us to plan for peace and good. Step one, we'll move quickly through these. Step one of wise biblical planning, submit yourself. Chapter 16, verse three, submit yourself. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be, future tense, established. I bet we all know exactly what that just said. If I were to ask you to repeat it back to me, probably not perfectly, but you could paraphrase it back. But listen again, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be, future tense, established. It's a complete reversal of what we might think. We might think this, commit your plans to the Lord and your works will succeed. Like God, here is my amazing plan. And I would like to now bring it to you and commit it to you and have you sprinkle some nice heavenly dust upon it and make it all come true. It's not what it says. It doesn't say make a plan, commit that to the Lord and he will make the works come true. It says commit your works to the Lord and then your plans, future tense, will be established. This is what it is saying. It is saying, submit all of who you are to the Lord and to his kingdom and to his peace and to his good, and then he will begin to establish, future tense, your plans. He will begin to give you a plan. Listen, I'm gonna share with you how I practically do this step in my life. This is really important because I I have a serious tendency to the idol of control. And I'm a really good planner now because I I saw the success it could bring in my life and the power that it could bring in my life. I'm not telling you these steps uh, to brag. I'm just sharing with you what I do because I'm dependent upon Jesus every day uh, to begin my plans in a wise biblical fashion. So this is what it means to commit your works to the Lord so that God might give you a plan. Every morning I do city Bible reading and I get up and I have my calendar in front of me, I have city Bible reading in front of me and I put a napkin. It's actually, um, it's, it's a paper towel. You know, they're not this wide anymore, they're this wide. And so I take it and I fold it in half because I'm that anal and I, it's gotta be a square and I put it right in front of me and I use a ballpoint pen, I put it right on top of it. I use um, this, I don't know what this is. I use this kind of pen on top of it. I use the other kind of pen in my Bible because when you write in this kind of pen in your Bible, it gets messy and so... I put that on the napkin and at various points during my quiet time, I just say, God, I'm yours today. What would you like to see me do? And I just listen. And he'll put strange people's names in strange places in my mind and I'll just write it down. I'll say, listen, I I thought that this would be a good use of my time today, but if you want us to fit this into here, we're gonna do that because this is not my plan. This is your plan. Give me my plan for this day. Throughout my day, when I get a chance, I sit down and I put my iPhone on five minutes and I just sit there and ask God, what do you want me to do? I'm yours. What do you want me to do? I'm yours. And sometimes he just says, fall asleep, and I do. And the alarm wakes me up. (laughs) Sometimes he says, This is what I'd like you to plan for the future. Monthly, I I get away for 24 hours. It's expensive to Trisha and I, but we do it and we just sit there and as a couple, we say, what do you want us to do? 
What do you want us to do? We were thinking we'd do this with the kids. What do you think about that? Is this a good plan? Do you like it? Do you want us to change it? Are there people we're ignoring? Are we planning evil? What's going on? What do you want us to do? In July, annually, I get away for a little bit longer. I turn everything off and I just listen and I just write in my journal. On special events, big decisions. Listen, this is not me, this is some of you. Before a serious relationship, get away. Commit your life to God and say, what do you want me to do? Before you make a major purchase, which is more than $5 for most of us, just joking. Before choosing a career, before taking a job, before relocating to a place where you have no community, sit down and say, God, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? Step one, step zero, don't plan evil. Step one, submit yourself. Step two, write your plans down. We'll call this a parenthesis. Write your plans down. I, I could show you this in the book of Proverbs, but I'm not gonna take the time. It's scary to write your plans down because then you're vulnerable. I, I'm, the next step's gonna be get advice on the plan. I don't like having the plan on a piece of paper because people can mark through it. I like dialoguing with them so I look better. Write your plans down, and this is why. Step three, get counsel. This is why, because when I'm by myself asking Jesus, what do you want me to do? Sometimes I come up with really foolish stuff. It's just stupid. (laughs) And God doesn't say you're gonna have those plans and keep them forever. The next step in the book of Proverbs is this. These verses, 2018, plans are established, present tense, not future tense, that was, he will establish your plans if you commit yourself. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Chapter 15, verse 22, without counsel, plans fail, they break. But with many advisors, they succeed or they stand. I I have a lot of reasons here why we don't wanna go and talk to other people about our written down plans. Primarily, they're out of fear that we don't wanna intrude on them or we don't wanna look dumb. And primarily, we don't want others thinking about our plans for anything because we're proud. And so either we pick counselors that always agree with us or we don't ask at all. The Bible says, chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Um, Step four, diligence. Chapter 21, verse five, we're going back to where we started at the top of your worship folder insert. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Again, think about the flow. After you've committed yourself, God's gonna establish your plan in the future. God will establish your plan through counselors. That's chapter 16 about the future. Chapter 20 about the the counselors. Chapter 21, if you follow the plan that you submitted to God and that you checked with counselors, if you follow it with diligence, generalization, Usually, it leads to abundance. Diligence is a word that means industrious, hardworking, uh, meticulous, painstaking, persistence. If you're anything like me, you have a really good budget in an Excel sheet and you're not doing it. If you're anything like me, you have a really good diet on your iPhone and you're not doing it. If you're anything like me, you have some exercise equipment in your house serving as a coat rack right now. 
Some of us have an amazing spiritual disciplines calendar, reading the Bible, fasting, living in community, worship, serving others, a plan to be in the means of grace so that we can one step at a time become more wise. But many of us, including me, are not very diligent to that plan. Step five, value planning. Value planning more than you value your plan. Value planning more than you value your plan. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, has this famous quote I'm sure many of you have have heard. He was a five-star general in um, World War II. He was the supreme commander of the Allied forces in Europe. His responsibilities were to plan and to supervise the successful invasion of France and Germany in 44 and 45. And I think he became the 34th president in 52. I know it was 52, but I can't remember the 34th part. But listen to what he said about planning and supervising. In preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. In preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. Why? Last verse on your insert, chapter 27, verse one. Do not boast, it's the word for praise or worship, Do not worship about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. What are we tempted to boast in, praise, worship for tomorrow? Our plans for tomorrow. Why do we not boast? Because we have no idea what a day may bring. Think about it with me. If you love the plan more than planning, or if you value the plan more than you value planning, what will you do when God intervenes and makes his purposes, his decisions, his plan know? What will you do if you value the plan more than planning when God's plan doesn't line up with your plan? Well, if you're like me, you'll get angry. If you're like me, you'll give up in despair. If you're like me, you'll become manipulative and dishonest and you'll force your plans on other people whether they like them or not. But, If we would begin to value planning more than we value our plan, what will we do when God intervenes? We'll continue to worship God and not our plan. We'll be excited that God has given us more understanding of what he's up to. We'll calibrate the plan and we'll ditch the plan uh, or we'll start over depending on which is better. But whatever, we're gonna be okay because we don't trust in the plan. We trust in God. On one side, of this sermon is the one who refuses to plan for whatever reason. On the other side is the one who trusts in the plan. But if both of the realities, the mystery of God are true, we can't just go to either one of those and live there. I'll give you an illustration of how this happens in the mundane realities of our lives. Yesterday, the napkin while reading Psalm 119 was chocked full of needs. My family had needs, my friends had needs, my church had needs. I had a lot of stuff that I felt like God was saying, this is the plan for the day. We get to Braden's baseball game, which is like the third thing on the plan. We get there at 8.40, just like we're supposed to be, and the coach tells us, we think we're at the wrong field. And I said, well, we'll see you guys next year. It's the last game, sorry to hear that. See you later. (laughs) Like, no, 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 we've called them. It's at Audubon Park, we're gonna play at 10 instead of nine. Now, if I love the plan, I get angry. I begin to manipulate. I, I, okay, see you there, and I go home. That's deception. <laughs> but if I like, no, 
I'm not created in God's image to write the plan. I'm created in God's image to be a planner. And so now I'm gonna start from this coordinates and plan this day to serve as many people as possible. So because Trisha would not let me drive home and be deceptive, I started to plan the next plan. I was at the office at 1230. I was supposed to be there from 11 to two and my friends had borrowed my truck and it broke down. I'm like, how can I get somebody to take care of that so I don't have to? Pushed everything back 120 minutes. Entire sections of the plan got deleted because I don't trust the plan. By the gospel, I hope I'm increasingly trusting in the Lord who makes all things end according to to his purpose. It can be more dramatic than that. I had a couple in premarital training and uh, they committed themselves to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27. This was their commitment in, in regards to birth control. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field and after that, build your house. It's a great, great proverb on family planning. The plan was to pay off debts, to establish a career, to work on some, some marital things that came up in premarital training. The plan was to finish their education, but within two weeks of being married, God said, I got a different plan. You're pregnant. And children are a blessing from the Lord, and the Lord will provide, and he will make a way. And so we, we met, and we changed the plan according to the coordinates. If they value their plan more than their planning, they would be angry, depressed, resentful, fearful, and even think of unspeakable things. But if they value planning, they know that God has given them a fantastic Sudoku puzzle to figure out as they cling to Romans 8.28. In conclusion, where are you at? Did I lose you at don't plan evil? Are you still back there thinking about that place where you're gonna need Jesus this morning? Did I lose you at the place um, where you think planning is dumb and maybe even an abomination in the sight of God and you now realize that planning is loving? Did I lose you at the place where we talked about loving God more than your plan? Listen, every one of us, every one of us right now is in need of grace and mercy and salvation and redemption and a perfect divine love for the unlovely. I have really good news. There's a plan for that. Let's go back to where we started and we'll be done. Not where I started the sermon, but where we started the worship service. Ephesians 1. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, his purpose, his plan, which he set forth in Christ, listen to this, as a plan for the fullness of time. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we might be to the praise of his glory. We'll talk more about this at communion. For now, let's praise him. Most gracious God and heavenly father, I confess that a sermon that I thought would be very practical and pragmatic has become 
a sermon that has forced me to need you in ways that I never realized. I confess my idolatry of planning, my idolatry of control. I confess that I have looked to these passages about planning and I have made myself a God and I need your forgiveness. Lord, I know that I have friends in here who need to confess that they do not plan because either laziness or bad theology. And Lord, I pray that you would remind them, Jesus, that you said it's foolish to think about the future and not plan for it, whether you can go and really finish the job or really win the war, it's foolishness. And I pray that for those of us who are lazy or through bad theology think I'm not going to plan, I I pray that you would convince them that in your image, our responsibility is to steward the gift of planning, to think about how we will love the most people in the most ways as we look to the future. Wherever we need you, Jesus, would you show up and save us? In your name we pray, amen.